Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Sal Luciano. He is president of the Connecticut AFL-CIO on this Labor Day weekend. Good morning to you. Good morning, Aaron. Sal, this is your first Labor Day as president of the Connecticut AFL-CIO. What does the holiday mean to you? The day was uh, a day that was supposed to represent and care about working people in the United States. It was uh, became a national holiday in 1884. Grover Cleveland was the one who signed it into law. Uh, but it didn't mean much at the time. At the time, people were still working 12-hour days, six days a week. And in some cases, people were working 12-hour days, seven days a week. Um, it was a couple years later that the Haymarket Massacre happened um, on, uh, well, actually, the first massacre was May 3rd. It was uh, because workers were protesting for an eight-hour workday, and um, protesters were massacred on that day. And then the next day, workers came out to protest the killing of those workers, and uh, someone threw a stick of dynamite, killed seven policemen, four more protesters, and a bunch of protesters were wounded. It's the reason why the rest of the world celebrates Labor Day on May 1st and to com- ironically to commemorate the, the um, incident that happened in Chicago. And also uh, around that time, there were only a couple of states that had child labor laws. So it was not uncommon for six, seven, eight-year-olds to be in the coal mine working. Um, so it, it was really a holiday that started in name only. And um, after a while of people trying to organize and and because they were working all of those hours and barely surviving. And so there was a real push for them to make a, a livable wage. Um, at the time, they, they were dealing with um, many uh, robber barons. Uh, two of the worst were uh, Carnegie and Rockefeller. Uh, they had more money than they could spend in a thousand lifetimes, but they were competing as to who could be the richest person. And so uh, they cut costs. They made workers work more hours. They didn't give them a raise. Um, they got rid of a lot of health and safety issues, so workers were dying going uh, working on the job. So workers decided to organize, to have a voice at work, to try to be able to come home at the end of the day the same way as they went into work that morning. So these are things that we today take for granted, the 40-hour work week, basic safety protections on the job. What transpired between then and now to make that happen? Basically, um, Simple organizing. Uh, People decided that they needed a voice at work um, and they needed to be respected as workers. And so they formed unions. Uh, Individually, people can be fired. They can be let go. It's not you're not very powerful when you're trying to deal with your employer as an individual. But as a union, um, you can go and deal with your employer as as an entire workforce and little by little, they started to gain some rights. The um, 12-hour workday became 10-hour workday, became an 8-hour workday. 
Um, people were not satisfied with only one day off, and so um, unions essentially created the weekends as well. So things have gotten better for workers over the years. Why do you feel that labor unions are still relevant today? Sure. Um, things got better for many years, from World War II until essentially 1979. There was a social compact. So the way you produce wealth in this country is by increasing productivity. Between World War II and 1979, there was the social compact was that if you increase productivity, some of the wealth that you generated as a worker, you saw back into your pay. Around 1979, that started to diverge significantly. And now there's almost no relationship between how productive you are and what the employer decides to pay you. The wealth inequality has gotten much, much worse instead of better to the point where we were talking about the robber barons earlier, but the divide between the haves and the have-nots are even greater now than they were in the days of the robber barons. And that's why unions are, are still necessary. So you mentioned this started to change in the late 70s. What changed? Um, essentially, uh, corporations got greedier. Um, many of them uh, got rid of pensions, and they used the pension money to buy back stocks so they can get more money uh, as, and compensation for the CEOs, some of which they gave to the shareholders. That's why they didn't complain as much as they might. Um, and, and then it's gotten worse over the last few years with Citizens United um, they allowed. They essentially said um, corporations can be people, and and money is is speech. And so, people with power already had a lot of economic power. Citizens United gave them a lot of political power. And certainly, labor unions have a fair amount of political power themselves, don't they? They do. If if workers remember that, um, really, when they're Elections are about choices and which side are you on. Are you going to be on the side of working people or are you going to be on the side of people who already have uh, more than enough? One of the things that we see today in a sad reality is that 40% of working Americans cannot handle an emergency $400 bill, which is you know, really a, a minor car repair or a water heater that broke or um, bringing your child to the doctor and having to pay that copay. And so, um, to me, that's that's almost criminal. And so, I don't believe that they have enough power to, to change that dynamic. Hopefully, they're, they're understanding uh, that they are not seeing the gains of their productivity, and they're starting to get upset. And we're seeing that in, in several ways. I think the federal shutdown this year with the federal workers and all of the support that they got uh, was clearly uh, indicative that um, people are starting to be on the side of workers. Uh, and the UFCW strike, uh, stop and shop strike, was another example. And the community support was um, just unbelievable. I know that the store we adopted right behind us, um, young women with, with children came out with signs, uh, came with sandwiches to support the strikers. Uh, it was really good to see, and I think it's it's a really good omen. And, and the other piece that's interesting is that unions this year um, in the latest Gallup poll polled higher than they have in the last 50 years. So many workers are starting to see that um, we really need to do more for working Americans. Even as that is happening, we're seeing declining numbers of, of people represented by labor unions here in Connecticut. Why is that? I think this year might be a glitch because of the Janus Supreme Court decision. Um, they the Supreme Court essentially thought that, that it would be uh, 
many who supported that decision thought it would be a death toll for all unions, especially uh, what that did was it made public uh, employee unions, if they hadn't signed a card, then they couldn't pay union dues. And so um, there was a slight dip as a result of that. This is the first dip in union density in Connecticut in, I believe, 18, 20 years. And I think you will see it rise again next year. Roughly how, how many people decided not to be part of the union because of the, the Janus decision? Almost none. Uh, the, but the problem was that the way the Janus decision was written, you had to have a card on file in order to take union dues. So that ramp up to get members to sign, I think most members understood that the, the, the Koch brothers and some of the people who were behind the Supreme Court decision didn't do it so that workers could have 30 or 40 more dollars a month in their pocket from union dues. They did it to weaken unions and weaken the voice of workers. What are some of the particular issues that labor unions are fighting for today? So when the minimum wage was created, um, it, it was supposed to try to make sure that if you work 40 hours a week, you could actually put food on the table and have a roof over your head and not worry uh, about those things. And um, that never happened. If they had tied the minimum wage early on to inflation, minimum wage right now would be about $26, $27 an hour. For, um, and so... Uh, we did uh, as much as we could this year, and luckily we got some legislation passed that would allow workers in four years to go up to $15. Now, there have been some claims that $15 is not a livable wage, and, and, and some of those people who claim that <laughs> voted no to, ra to raise the minimum wage. But clearly, um, when, you, when you're making 10 10 an hour— Going up to fifteen dollars is is real relief for families. It's it's real food that they can put on their table uh, for their children and uh, and for their families. It's it's security in terms of keeping a roof over their head. And so we continue to to make those pushes. Um, another thing that we got through this year that we think if you have means and a family member gets sick, you can just take time off of work. But if you have if you're struggling to survive and you have a spouse who's sick or a child who's sick, even though the there's legislation that allows you to take time off, you can't do without the money. And so we passed legislation that would allow for paid um, family leave uh, for uh, up to several weeks in order to take care of that ill spouse or child. Uh, that was another piece of legislation we passed. Uh, another piece of legislation that we passed is um, – a look, a real look at uh, police and firefighters um, when they get post-traumatic stress syndrome, uh, when they see things that you can't unsee, um, that things that years later disturb you, keep you from being able to sleep, um, sometimes uh, make you self-medicate with alcohol in order to try to forget the memories. Um, and, and so this bill will help those firefighters and police who suffer post-traumatic stress. And so we continue to try to work on an agenda that helps working families. The fight for the PTSD legislation in particular was a long-fought one. Why was that? I think there was a, a concern. The tax structure in, in Connecticut is, is really um, a problem. Working people who make between between about thirty-five and eighty thousand dollars a year, which is a majority of the working people, pay about a quarter of all of their earnings in property taxes, sales taxes, federal taxes, um, and as a result, uh, property taxes 
really have, and it's the one tax, property tax is the one tax that doesn't care about how much you earn, right? If you own a house and it's worth a certain amount of money, you have to pay a certain amount of tax. It doesn't matter if you got laid off. It doesn't matter if you if you were demoted. It, it, it doesn't care. And so cities and towns um, really worry about the money. So it became a real financial issue. They they were aware that that this problem existed. They just didn't have the the wherewithal to um, to take care of that. If you're a millionaire, on the other hand, you're paying six percent instead of twenty five percent of everything you earn. And if you're a billionaire, you're paying four percent, and maybe not even that if you because you can afford a tax avoiding attorney. Going back to the paid family and medical leave, I understand that state employees who are unionized are, are not part of the half a percent payroll tax that's going to be taken out when this kicks in. Were you privy to those discussions and, and why that, that is? I know about them, um, and I know that that's because many of them already, they already get sick time as a result of collective bargaining. And so for that reason, they weren't required to pay in the half a percent. They, they can ask to be part of that because if you're a new worker, you can run into the problem. You have an accrued time. And um, so there is a provision for them to opt in should they choose. Now, you talked about some of the, the legislative wins this past year. What are some issues you're still working on? So there's still um, – there, there are quite a few issues. One of the ones that we're concerned about, and, and you had mentioned this, the dip in uh, union density. One of the tools that the employer has are what's called captive audience. And so um, we've had situations just within the last couple of years, and we saw it with the Sheridan unionization of the uh, Sheridan hotels, where men would follow um, the... the um, the maids, the the people who clean up the rooms would follow them into the supply closets, which is really kind of creepy, and tell them that if they unionized, um, ICE might come and and might take them, deport them to another country. Um, and they're, they're pretty much forced to sit and listen uh, to those kinds of threats. And, and as you can imagine, that that's very scary, and it's a powerful tool that the employers have. One of the pieces of legislation we tried to pass this year um, would still allow the employer to say anything they want, but it would allow an employee to walk out of the room if it doesn't have anything to do with the job and not be subject to being disciplined or fired or any other kind of retaliation. It's it's really a form of freedom of speech that you, you not be forced to sit there and listen to something that isn't job related that you don't want to listen to. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Connecticut AFL-CIO President Sal Luciano on this Labor Day weekend. Last week, the AFL-CIO was among the groups issuing a call for legislative leaders to implement electronic highway tolls as soon as possible. Why is that? So the one thing that neither Republicans nor Democrats uh, disagree with is that our infrastructure is deplorable. Um, the, the good news is that we know um, over 300 bridges are not structurally sound. The bad news is right now we're not fixing them. And so to prevent another Miamis River Bridge fiasco um, in order to in- increase and improve our infrastructure, which also is directly tied to, to the economic engine. If we could imagine if we can drive 
uh, or take a train to Boston and New York from anywhere in Connecticut within a half an hour. And often you're sitting in 95 uh, in the middle of the highway, um, unable to go anywhere uh, because of traffic jams, et cetera. So nobody's arguing that there's this huge infrastructure need. And so the, the, the argument has become, how do we pay for it? And so there, there really are only two ways to pay for it, and there, there are two plans. Uh, and you can do some kind of hybrid, but the plan that the governor had was that you can pay, it would cost about close to $800 million a year for the infrastructure, with Connecticut citizens paying about $500 million of that, and out-of-state drivers paying for the other $300 million. That's one option. The other option is, is and it, these are all if the numbers of $27, $28 billion needed for the infrastructure is correct, the other way to do it is to borrow $1.15 billion every year. And, and if you do that, you crowd out all of the other things that cities and towns in the state of Connecticut uh, need to bond for, including new schools, um, asbestos remediation, um, uh, trailway improvement, uh, et cetera. And um, so if you look at the two plans, do we want to spend a half a billion dollars a year or over $1 billion a year? Um, it, it seems like it makes sense to, to spend a half a billion dollars. One, it's cheaper. Uh, two, it allows for it, it. It's interesting that the Republicans want to bond so much money because they're usually the ones who say, we don't want to burden our children, right? Um, and so it seems like it'd be half the cost if we paid it ourselves and um, rather than more than double the cost. And, and so that's, that's one of the main reasons. And then there's a secondary reason. And the secondary reason is that um, the construction trades had taken a huge hit um, in 2008. The, um, after the recession, they've had unemployment as high as 40%. And so uh, these would be good-paying jobs, and uh, we believe it would also, uh, w when you when you employ people in good-paying jobs, they're able to spend more, buy pizzas, get haircuts. Uh, clearly, all of that helps Connecticut's economy as well. How do you respond to the person who says, listen, I, I understand that we need money to, to fix the roads and improve mass transit, but... Electronic highway tolls are something that are going to hit the working person. It's a regressive levy. That's true. It is a, a bit of a regressive levy. I think there's ways around it. I think, one, you can give um, some relief to the person who is who travels every day on the highway. And the other thing that you can do is if you make under a certain amount of money, I don't know if that's thirty or $40,000, you can, get, you can um, give them a slight rebate f of, for that. So there are ways to, to fix it. Um, we're one of the few states that, that don't use tolling. Um, but the other thing is that if you ask people in the state of Connecticut if they want tolls, about 55% of them say no. When you ask them, would you pay tolls if that money were used for infrastructure improvement, the majority of Connecticut residents say yes, because they don't want to be stuck on the highway either. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm usually pretty civil, but I've been known to, to let out a few blue curse words um, when I'm stuck in traffic for 15, 20 minutes and I'm looking around and I, and I see many cars from out of state as well. Now, we have the, the lockbox legislation in place, which is supposed to protect 
money dedicated for transportation from being raided for other purposes. If electronic tolls become a reality, will organized labor speak up if if someone finds the key to that lockbox when they're not supposed to? Yes. I mean, we, the, we, we watch any time the state ends up getting money that's supposed to be used for a specific purpose, we see it um, kind of funneled into other avenues. We saw that with um, the tobacco money. The tobacco money was supposed to be for smoking cessation, um, and and a lot of it was diverted. When we saw that the um, casinos were supposed to have a certain amount of money to help uh, with Connecticut education, uh, we saw some of that money be diverted. So it's understandable that the public is a little bit skeptical. But it is important. That the infrastructure is vitally important to for businesses, in the state of Connecticut, it's it's uh, you know the it's really the eighteen wheel trucks that cause a lot of wear and tear on the roads, and, and so um, we we believe that uh, it should be in a lockbox. Now there was talk of a special session over the summer to vote on tolls. The summer is essentially over. Uh, where do you see this going? I I think. Ultimately, we're, we're going to have to do something. Um, again, there's no disagreement about that, whether or not we can politically come to some kind of compromise and, and there's some kind of hybrid situation. I, I don't know what will happen, but I, I really believe that um, the problem's not going to go away by ignoring it, and we're going to have to sit down and um, be adults and solve this problem because, again, there's there's no disagreement that the roads and bridges and and the rest of the infrastructure must be fixed. Certainly labor is active politically. What are you doing this time of year? We have the municipal elections coming up, the 2020 race and the presidential contest and state legislative mm-hmm. seats are still over a year away. What's happening right now? We have um, our uh, area local federations. We have two of them in Connecticut, and they make they're, – they're essentially – labor unions that are affiliated in the area, and they will make decisions regarding um, who we're going to endorse. And so in some cases, in most cases, we avoid primaries because they're primaries. But in other places, we understand that the primaries essentially are the election. The Democratic Party um, in, in Hartford and the Democratic uh, Party in Bridgeport, whichever candidate ends up winning the primary, will be the next mayor. Um, and so sometimes in those situations, we do get involved. And when I say involved, we're, we try to educate our own members um, in terms of who we think, uh, again, which side are you on? Are you going to be on the side of the people who have abundance, or are you going to be on the side of working people who struggle uh, every day? One of the issues, it seems there is a lot of common ground among organized labor and business interests is the need for more job training. Uh, How great is that need? It's huge. Uh, One of the things that the building trades do very well, and and that would be another enhancement uh, if if and when we we end up doing the the tolling and fixing the infrastructure – they do a great job uh, grabbing apprentices. So many of these people can be minorities. They can be people who have gotten out of jail, uh, and the trades accept them and train them um, for free. And you, you know, you're earning money while you're learning, 
And they do a, a simply great job, whether it's um, sheet metal, whether it's boilers, whether it's heavy machinery with the operating engineers. Um, they, they really do uh, the iron workers, the steel workers. They do a great job training new people and getting them ready for the skills that are required. He is Sal Luciano, president of the Connecticut AFL-CIO. Thanks so much for joining us this morning, and happy Labor Day to you, sir. Thank you, Aaron. Happy Labor Day. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.